Welcome to Mind Speak. I'm your host, Holly Higgins, a hypnotherapist and holistic mental health nerd. And I'm here to help you use the power of your mind to become happier, healthier, and more of who you really are. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, we have my dear friend, Lauren Geertsen. She's back on the show for a second time. You may remember her from episode 12, where she shared about her hypnotherapy experience. So today, she's back on the show to talk about her brand new book, The Invisible Corset, Break Free from Beauty Culture and Embrace Your Radiant Self. Now, if you're not familiar with Lauren, she is a body connection coach. She helps women heal their relationship with food and with their bodies. You might also know her from her incredibly popular holistic health website, Empowered Sustenance. But today we get to dive in and talk all about her new book. Lauren, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so good to talk with you, Holly. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So you've got a new book out. Tell us when does this book come out? January 19th. Okay. So by the time this episode airs, it should be live in bookstores, wherever books are sold. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. And so the invisible corset, just tell us a little bit about this book. Who, who is it for? What is the mission behind this book? The mission is pretty big. I wanted to write a book that would allow us to end the generational cycle of female body hate in one generation. I didn't know if it was possible. I think it is now. Uh, So this book really is for every woman. I'd say girls over, you know, 13, 14. um, And there's really no age limit on when this is appropriate for somebody to read on their healing journey and their journey to reconnect with their true selves. So the invisible corset is a set of culturally inherited beliefs that make women nowadays as uncomfortable and restricted in our bodies as traditional whalebone corsets once did. Mm. Right. But because we can't see these beliefs because they are actually a form of internalized oppression and that it's the water that we swim in, it's that much harder to get free. Like we can't just reach around our back and unlace this thing. Mm-hmm. I love that the invisible corset. And you say that these are all the inherited beliefs, all the societal constructs that keep us just as constrained and uncomfortable as a traditional corset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And as a reader of your book, Lauren, I know you say I do have a big mission to end this body hatred in one generational cycle, but I think if anything can do it, it's this book because it's incredibly powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. What, what was it about your own personal journey? Can you give us, give us a glimpse and a peek into your own personal evolution that inspired you to write this book? Like what, what was it that made you say like, this is my mission. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of have similar stories in terms of healing through nutrition and then taking it to a deeper spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this started for me when I was 18. I was essentially bedridden at that point with an autoimmune disease, ulcerative colitis. And, you know, I did everything that my doctors had told me for years. I had been on all the medications. 
I had been on medications for the side effects. Uh, and then at that point I was told that nutrition wouldn't work. That's what the medical community told me. And they said my only last remaining option was a surgery that would remove a portion of my colon. Uh, and that unfortunately this would be kind of a temporary measure because it doesn't really solve the disease. It just takes out the, um, affected tissue and the disease continues to spread throughout the body. So they'd probably have to go back in my future and take out more of my colon. And this really was the breaking point for me. I was like, I need to find something else. And that was the moment where it was like the, the faintest whisper of my intuition told me I have to try something else. Uh, and a book essentially jumped off the bookshelf at me and it outlined a dietary protocol, uh, the specific carbohydrate diet. Mm -hmm. Um, and within three days of doing that nutrition protocol, my acute symptoms were gone. I mean, I went from level, you know, eight, nine, 10 pain on a pain scale, um, bedridden to, uh, being able to walk around, move, no pain. It was a miracle. It truly felt like a miracle. Uh, and then within three months I was off all my medications and it was the most, empowering experience I had had up to that moment in my life. Um, and it really was the moment where I realized my body is on my side, mm. right? Because before that, and so many people who have autoimmune disease have this mindset, thanks to our medical industry, which tells us uh, autoimmune disease is your body trying to kill itself. And you need our artificial pharmaceutical interventions to save you from your own body. You are that broken, right? And so it really, I, I had complete Stockholm syndrome uh, with the pharmaceutical industry. I didn't understand how the pharmaceuticals I had taken in the past for me, um, how the diet I had eaten and the life I had lived had contributed to me developing this disease in the first place. Um, and it, it was such a beautiful experience realizing Oh my goodness, my body knew all along how to heal me. You know, I just needed to give her the right materials. Mm -hmm. And if I can learn how to listen to that intuitive voice in me, what else could she free me from? What else could she heal in me? And that was such an exciting prospect. Uh, and I went deeper into my journey of learning how to reconnect with my body and that intuition within me. Um, and along the path, I did have some very, very intense and unexpected spiritual awakenings where I really stepped into my ability to be an intuitive healer and to be an intuitive channel for my clients and, and help facilitate their healing through that information. And the other big piece here was realizing how much the beauty industry had intentionally cut me off from my intuition. Mm. and my ability to connect with my body. Like, I was like, this is not an accident that women have been coerced to divorce our bodies in mass numbers mm -hmm. um, so that we take actions that are not in our best interest, but are in the best interest of the beauty industry. Mm. So just as big pharma and big food had disconnected you from your physical body and your intuition, you started to realize the same sort of abusive pattern is present in the beauty industry and is strangling or is corseting women in similar ways. Absolutely. And one of the things I talk about 
in the book, a big click that happened for me was realizing that the beauty industry is a psychological abuser. You know, this lands for a lot of women who have had abusive relationships in their life, who have interacted with a narcissistic spouse or a parent um, or, you know, business colleague, because the same manipulative dynamics that happen in those individual psychologically abusive relationships happen on a mass level. Um, and the beauty industry uses all those same techniques to control women. Cause that's mm-hmm. what an abusive relationship is about. It's not about loving and respecting and supporting the other person. It is about, um, controlling them in order to exploit their sexuality or their finances or their labor. And when it comes to the beauty industry, it is exploiting all three of those things. Mm. Can you give us a few examples just to make it really clear for the listeners? Like when you talk about how the beauty industry mirrors toxic relationships or narcissistic dynamics, like, like what are some of the tactics they use just to paint a picture for people to clearly see like, oh yeah, this is totally an abusive relationship. Great question. Uh, So the first big red flag here is uh, an abuser will keep somebody in a state of stress and anxiety. This can be accomplished through like creating mini emergencies or uh, creating a perpetual sense of fear and paranoia. So we see this in all cults in all cult-like systems in our society and cult-like religions. And when it comes to the beauty industry, we're instilled with this paranoia around our bodies changing through our aging process or after childbirth or, or after menopause, we're taught that all these natural changes are something to fear and control. And we are kept in this constant state of, of fear and adrenaline. Um, now, the reason for that, it's, it's again, no accident because when we're in that state of the sympathetic state of our nervous system, right, the fight or flight, it shuts down, it largely shuts down our ability to connect with our intuition. Mm. And, and this isn't a woo-woo concept. This is um, described in the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, who's a, a leading neuroscience um, specialist. And he explains how when we are in the parasympathetic parasympathetic state, that rest or digest state, um, the vagus nerve can better convey messages from our gut. Our gut feelings can be better conveyed to our brain to be interpreted. So the beauty industry wants to shut down that means of internal communication within women, right? This is an extension of uh, patriarchal values dating back thousands and thousands of years that have been uh, created to separate women from that intuition within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So constantly keeping women in this dance of like, I'm not enough. And what can I do to, to be and feel enough? And like, how can I keep myself from falling apart? Keeps us in that constant fear response, which keeps us from accessing and harnessing our innately powerful intuition. Absolutely. The other, um, well, one other big piece here is a psychological abusers will give um, kind of perpetual tasks to their victims. So again, we see this in, in cults, <laughs> even yeah. in multi-level marketing situations where it's just like, 
do this thing, do this thing, do this thing. Um, a lot of uh, culty religions, it's like, we don't want you to have a life outside of this system. Um, we have to keep you that busy. Uh, certainly individual psychological abusers will create ways to keep their victims perpetually busy so they don't have rest time. They don't have time for their mind to shift into creativity and imagination. Uh, again, because that puts somebody in a parasympathetic place, right? Where they can actually make choices that are going to lead them out of the hamster wheel. Uh, so what the beauty industry does is it keeps women perpetually busy. Like, so we are working full-time jobs and, or we're moms and, or we have everything else on our plate that life gives us. We're caretakers, whatnot. And then the beauty industry is like, oh, let me fill all your free time uh, with a 12 step skincare routine and, <laughs> you know, four different products you need to put in your hair and hair masks and spending this much time styling it. And, you know, dieting is basically a part time job. So let's add that to your plate as well. And it really gets to the point where the beauty industry will give us more tasks for whatever free time we have. And women willingly accept it. Like I, before I realized this brainwashing, I was in that mindset where if I had free time, if I was sitting and watching TV, I had this anxiety of like, I'm supposed to be fixing my body right now. I shouldn't have this free time. You know, mm. I should be putting this laser device over my face or doing some kind of anti-wrinkle face massage or whatnot. Um, you know, doing crunches while I watch TV. This is the mindset that we get into as a result of the psychological abuse of the beauty industry. Yeah. And it's that same dynamic of if you've ever experienced an abusive or toxic relationship, you know, until you break free, it's that, that constant anxiety and inner questioning of like, well, what, what did I do wrong and what can I do to make it better? And, and how can I fix it? And there's that, that constant dangling carrot in front of you of like, if you just do this one thing, or like, if you just change this, like the relationship's going to get better. And, and then it never does. And it's the same dynamic with constantly chasing beauty perfection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It teaches you to see yourself as the problem and your body as the problem rather than actually recognizing the real problem. Mm-hmm. You had a really good line in the book and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but you said something about the way that industry profits is to take something very natural and inherent and beautiful about women, convince them that it's a problem and mm -hmm. then profit off of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like cellulite, right? That wasn't a problem until I think it was the early 1800s when some French guy was like, oh, I want to say that this is a problem so we can sell some devices and creams to women. You know, before that in the 1600s, uh, if you look up the art of Peter Paul Rubin, I always like to show this to my clients. They, the uh, definition of beauty then was dimpled skin and thick thighs. Um, another example of that is this fear of aging that is instilled into women. So seeing wrinkles and gray hair as uh, something that we need to control and, and lie about uh, basically through products and procedures. Uh, when in ancient and indigenous cultures, that's a sign of wisdom. Age is a sign of wisdom. And it's, it's a really powerful thing to be able to show the story of your life on your face. Mm. 
I loved in reading your book there, it's clear, like you did an incredible amount of research and there's so much juicy history and what it just really made me realize was the goal for the goalpost for beauty is always moving. Like, uh, I think you said Paul Rubin was his name. Mm-hmm. Is that where the term Rubenesque comes from? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Because I look at those, those Rubenesque paintings with those, those women who are, who are like very strong and like me myself, like I'm tall and I'm curvy and I've got lots of cellulite. And I'm like, I would have been hot as fuck back then, <laughs> like by society's standards. <laughs> totally. Totally. So it, it's all just like subjective opinion that someone doesn't meet this standard or that standard. And we've, we've all seen it change over the course of our lifetimes. I mean, um, I remember like in the nineties, that wayfish Kate Moss, like skinny as a rail was like, you had to be that. And now it's like, well, you have to have like Kim Kardashian curves, but those curves have to be taught and perfect. And it's like, you know, a woman who was like the goalpost in the nineties would no longer be the goalpost. It's like, so we can never keep up. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that goalpost is that it is consistently and natural to the vast majority of women's bodies. Yes. And that it goes in and out of fashion, um, just like, you know, like pantsuits. So that wayfish look of the 90s was basically we're going to bring back the kind of very flapper, um, uh, very um, willowy aesthetic of the 20s and the 30s. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a resuscitation of that fad. And then what we're seeing now is kind of the reinvention of the extreme hourglass shape that we saw in the like um 1890s, the Victorian era. Oh yeah. And it was achieved through corsets and bustles, right? So it, it physically limited women's ability to sit and breathe and stand and eat. Now some, it's interesting. I want to say this. some people say, oh, well, corsets were good for women's posture and they weren't inherently uncomfortable and women liked wearing them. I'm like, okay, that was either written by a male historian who never wore a corset (laughs) or that was written by women who were that brainwashed, just like women today say, oh no, I'm getting, I'm getting a facelift because I want to, because it's my choice and it makes me feel good. Right. So that's, that's where that false belief came from. It feels good for women today to take off their bras at the end of the day. Just imagine how good it felt for a woman back then to take off their corsets. Exactly. Like anytime I've had to, you know, dress up for some business meeting or whatever, thank God I don't live in that world anymore. (laughs) Um, And like, I've gotten to take off like pantyhose or like constrictive undergarments. It's like, I can't, I can't imagine anybody willingly saying like, I love wearing my corset. Totally, totally. And um, you know, what we have now are interventions that are just as harmful and toxic to the body, like Kim Kardashian's curves are not natural. No, it's through liposuction and fat injections into her butt and thighs. And she wakes up at what, four or 5 a.m. every morning and works out for an hour and a half. Um, she spends God knows how much more money than most people would spend on three houses in their lifetime. She probably spends that on her body every few years. Um, and then the obsessive dieting that we now use to morph and change our body. Um, the botulism toxin that we inject into our forehead, this is, this is a lethal toxin that we're putting into our skin. Like there is nothing safe or healthy about that. 
So the technology changes, but truly the old body styles, these two curve-free and extreme curves, they Mm. just fluctuate. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, going back to the beauty industry, like it's the same with hairstyles, like one year, super short hair is in the next year, super long hair is in. And like, you can't keep up with that with the rate of natural hair growth. (laughs) It's like, it's like, so if, if we recognize the goalpost is always moving, I am bought in to this toxic, manipulative, abusive system And Lauren, you've written a whole book about this, and I want to really encourage people to go out and read this book. But if we have this realization of the goalpost is always moving and I am in a system that is fucked, how do we then escape that system? Mm -hmm. So the really groundwork here is to undo brainwashing. You specialize in this, Holly, like subconscious rewiring. (laughs) That is what it means to undo brainwashing. And this is what women have to do on a mass level because we don't realize that we have been brainwashed. This internalized oppression, this this belief that we're perpetually unworthy, it is brainwashing that has been passed down for generations. Um, And so... What I talk about in the book is a really brief, but really critical overview, especially for times like these of understanding how brainwashing happens. And then the quick summary of how to get out of that is uh, when we're brainwashed, we are acting from what um, a lot of psychologists and mystics have used this term as well. It's the false self. Mm. It is basically the beliefs and the actions that have been pre-programmed into us so that we act in the best interest of somebody else rather than our soul. So we have to get back to who is our true self. You know, we as women can't make choices that are coming from our own opinion. We can't make choices that are in our best interest until we get down to who am I really? Um, So that's where the exercises in the book come into play. You know, I love self-help as much as the next person, but not, I, not if it's vague. Like, so I really filled this book with really actionable, practical steps, things that I give to my clients. So you can crack open the book. Um, you know, you'll get journaling exercises, you'll get pre-recorded meditations and visualizations, um, And so those are some of the tools that I offer in the book and I use with my clients to help them get to their true self. Because the differentiation that I I like to make is, you know, you, um, beauty tools are inherently neutral for the most part, like not cosmetic surgery, that's inherently um, toxic and self-abusive, right? (laughs) A lot of the cosmetic surgery procedures, if we did this to a pet, it would be considered animal abuse because Mm. it's, non-essential, it causes a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering, right? Mm -hmm. We don't look at it that way for ourselves. Um, But, you know, hair and makeup and and different kinds of of clothes, that can be a form of self-expression for some women. And for other women, it can be a form of self-repression because it Mm -hmm. is impeding their true self. Um, So women like Dita Von or Dolly Parton, makeup, hair, heels, nails, it's definitely an expression of their true self. And that's really obvious when you can feel their energy um, or if you 
you know, I've seen interviews with them and it's just so obvious that their joy and their true personality is coming through. That's how they are the strongest version of themselves. But um, other women can do have the opportunity to realize, yeah, that's not me. For me, my true self was having more time in my day. Um, so I cut my hair and I stopped wearing makeup on a regular basis and um, I changed my clothing style. And that's how I felt most truly myself. But I could only give myself the freedom to do that once I undid this brainwashing. Uh, I love this. And I love the distinction that you're bringing up of saying like, makeup isn't inherently bad. And if, if, if you wear makeup, you're not a feminist, like you're not, you're not saying anything like that. It's like really getting down and doing the deep discovery work because a lot of us, you know, I've worked with so many clients and talking to them about their truth selves and they've had the realization, well, Holly, like, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know who my true self is. And so doing that deep discovery work, which can take some time of discovering who are you really, and then honoring your preferences from that place. I mean, I have women in my life who are wonderful friends and they are just very, very feminine creatures. And like, they genuinely love their makeup. They genuinely love their clothes. Like that's who they are. And it just radiates out from them. And you can tell that for me, like I wear very minimal makeup. I'm much more tomboyish and that's just like how I feel good. And like, if ever I've tried to put anything else besides you know, eyebrow pencil and blush on my cheeks. Like, I'm just like, get this shit off me. <laughs> like, I hate this, but that's true for me. So I love mm-hmm. that you're saying it's, it's not, you know, just stop wearing makeup and stop doing everything. It's about what's true for you. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting point you bring up too, about kind of these archetypal energies of feminine and masculine Chinese medicine talks about this a lot and humans whether you are a man or a woman, you have a different balance of masculine and feminine energy. So some women who do have a lot of that archetypal feminine energy, it feels really good and really true to themselves to be able to um, wear makeup and, you know, more traditionally feminine clothing, right? Cause that aligns with that feminine energy. Um, but, you know, me and you, we do have more masculine energy in us. And so we do gravitate towards, um, you know, because I kind of see that in how you dress and how I dress as well. That's kind of reflected and, and in, our, um, in our personalities. And when we really came home to ourselves, we were able to embrace that and feel really balanced that way. So that's something um, that I, I bring up in the book because it's, it's important to be able to uh, reflect on that. And there's a lot of confusion in our culture right now about what um, feminine and and masculine means. And if we can look at it as you can be a man or a woman and you can have, you can play with and entertain these different archetypal energies within yourself. Like that's cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think the ultimate question that someone has to ask themselves is, is not what should I do or what shouldn't I do, but what feels true to me? Because if you're doing something and you feel inherently uncomfortable, or if you're doing something from a place of I'm not worthy, I need to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. That's one of the key signs is so I mean, I'm actually going to go through three kind of um, points to help people recognize if they're making, I guess, makeup or clothing choices that are reflective of their true self, true self. So 
if you are choosing to make choices that aren't physically comfortable, that's often a sign it's coming from your false self, right? So, you know, hair removal practices that aren't physically comfortable, clothing that isn't physically comfortable that you look forward to taking off, um, you know, dieting or food practices that are not giving you kind of pleasure and balance and freedom in your life, that kind of comes under the category of not physically comfortable. So the other key sign here that you landed on is if it's coming from a place, a sense of insecurity or inadequacy, rather than self-celebration and joy. Okay. Mm. So for me, you know, I was the girl in college. I woke up 30 minutes before my college roommate because I was so ashamed to be seen without makeup. Um, that was definitely coming from insecurity and anxiety. Now, when I am, you know, alone in my house working for the day and I put on red lipstick, that's coming from a place of, of fun and celebration and like kind of puts me in my creativity zone. Um, and then another key uh, sign here is, do you do it when you're alone and when you're not seeing anybody? So this is where quarantine has given some women a lot of clarity there because they're like, oh, I used to do these different beauty routines or, you know, wear underwire bras or, you know, other, make other choices around my appearance. And I'm not doing it anymore now that I'm not going to work. Okay. So that's a good sign that those past choices were coming from your false self. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And those are such great questions to ask. And do you find Lauren in your, in your coaching work with people or conversations that you've had, you know, with other women as, as you've written this book and, um, move through this yourself, do these types of conversations bring up shame in women? Like, can, can we, can we get to a place where we're having these realizations and exploring things about us? And like, you know, we felt, we felt shame that drove us to put on makeup, but then does the opposite happen where women then feel shame because, because they're not doing it right. Do you know what I'm saying? I think so. I, when I'm facilitating this for my clients and in group settings, I always start with the understanding and I clarify this in my book as well. Like you should hate your body. You should be ashamed of your body because of the brainwashing you've undergone. That's mm. the only natural and normal outcome for a woman in this culture. And so I think that is a mindset shift that gives us a lot more grace because, you know, a lot of women can come from the place of, oh, you know, I follow all these body positive accounts on my Instagram feed. Um, you know, I've, I've read up on intuitive eating, uh, but I still feel, you know, ashamed of my weight and I want to lose weight. Um, it helps to have the understanding, oh, that, that shame that you're struggling with is normal and natural. You know, it's an appropriate response because you've been indoctrinated into it. So let's look at that and we'll deal with it. And so when I approach it from that angle with my clients, it does, it takes the sting out because they're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. It, it makes perfect sense given the environment and the circumstances you were raised in. Of course, you feel that shame. Of course, you, of course you're dealing with these feelings. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. One thing that I, that I love about your book is, is you touch on the body positivity movement. Um, and you have like, first of all, you celebrate that movement, but you also have 
I don't want to say criticisms of that movement, but you have some really interesting thoughts around like the whole concept of body positivity in general. Can you give us a taste of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's been um, leaders in that movement who have really opened my eyes and helped me heal. So for that, I'm, I'm deeply grateful. And the issue and the clarification that I want to offer here is the foundational message of body positivity, or at least where it came from, was all bodies are beautiful. Your wrinkles are beautiful. Your cellulite is beautiful. Your stretch marks are beautiful. Your saggy boobs are beautiful. That messaging doesn't really work on a subconscious level for most women, which is why the body positive approach hasn't worked for everyone, right? Because it's really hard to look in the mirror and say, my cellulite is beautiful on a conscious level when subconsciously you have been so programmed to see that as the opposite of beauty. Um, And it really reinforces the idea that a woman's value and worth is beauty, right? Because now the message is just like, you have to learn how to translate your body into beauty rather than rejecting beauty as a valid qualification for determining a woman's worth, right? Yeah. It's still, it's still focused largely on appearance. It's like, we're going to, we're going to focus on and celebrate and magnify these other elements of appearance that have been demonized or just said to be gross or whatever, but like, we're still focusing on appearance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, um, Oh, if you want to feel beautiful about yourself, learn how to see yourself as beautiful rather than if you want to feel better as yourself, better, um, yourself, then learn how to care less about beauty, learn how to see your worth in other ways, learn how to opt out of that system of values completely. Yeah. So that's what are, what are some other things we can celebrate or talk about besides what we look like? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And this is really where, um, women haven't given ourselves the opportunity to pursue our passions and our joys and our hobbies, because, we're so caught up with beauty, right? We're investing our money into beauty and we're investing our time into beauty. So we don't really know what else is fun to talk about or do. And this is totally on us. Like we, we don't get to blame the patriarchy here because, <laughs> you know, okay, they're old patriarchal beliefs, but at this point in the game, we're doing this to ourselves and it is on us to, um, get free from that system of values and to, uh, really, um, prioritize our, our passions and our hobbies and spend time with our true selves and get to know who that woman is. Absolutely. Can you remember the figure off the top of your head? It blew my mind when I read your book, how much the average woman spends on beauty, cosmetics, et cetera, over the course of her lifetime. Yeah, there's been a couple of polls on that. One was uh, 225,000. So, you know, an Ivy League education right there. One was over 300,000 in her lifetime. Um, and I have also heard statistics that Jennifer Aniston's annual beauty expenditure, it was about 250,000. Wow. Right? So women are comparing themselves to what I call these professional bodies yes, they're professional actresses and they're very talented in that way. And they are also professional bodies and they, that they're spending as much time and money and, and I guess basically training time, um, in the realm of 
of body modification and body altering. Um, so it's really, really key for women to understand that you are comparing yourself to somebody who is, who has spent more money on their body than most people spend on a house. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's like you posted a really good meme or I've, I've seen you post something like this a few times where, you know, it's pictures of women who are in their fifties, you know, dancing around a pole or dancing on stage, you know, uh, looking like the average, (laughs) I don't even want to say average, but like looking like they're still 25 and it's like, we, and we say, oh, you know, she's 55 and she looks so amazing. Well, of course she looks like that because she spent, three mortgages on looking like that. And, Mm -hmm. and it is literally her career to make her body look like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What gets me too, is that it's marketed as feminism now Mm -hmm. to uh, maintain a 30 year old body for the rest of your life. And it's marketed as feminism to get cosmetic surgery and, and because it's quote your choice. Right. And if it's your choice, then it's empowering. And if it's empowering you as a woman, it's feminism. But again, that's kind of a shallow understanding. It's not looking at what is the psychological operation that's been happening here to undermine women's own opinions, because we're not we're not exercising our own opinions here. We're calling them our own opinions, but they're really not. Mm -hmm. We're calling them our own opinions. We're calling them empowerment. But we have to take a step back and ask what was it that made me believe this in the first place? I mean, no baby comes out of the womb and is like, I can't wait to get injections. I can't wait to wear heels. It's like, we've been shaped to have these opinions. They they aren't inherent to our true selves, as you said. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, something I'd love to talk to you about. So we're talking about, you know, beauty, you know, giant industries at large that have manipulated our own opinions about ourselves. You know, and when we start talking about beauty, inevitably diet culture is inherent in that um, because manipulating our nutrition and diet is, is one way that we try to achieve a different size to be more quote unquote beautiful. So all of these different things are wrapped up. Now you and I have the very unique experience of profound healing through restrictive nutrition protocols. So you healed uh, ulcerative colitis radically by changing your diet, by adopting a healing nutrition protocol. I healed depression, anxiety, um, pernicious anemia, among other things by radically changing my diet. And there's, there's kind of this slippery slope between healing nutrition protocols and also just the fact that like diets are just so triggering for women in general. But as you and I have experienced, like changing our diet brought, and and I don't want to speak for you, but I think I can, but correct me if I'm wrong. Like for me, changing my diet brought me home to my intuition. And I had to do that in order to like wake up to the lies of the world and like Mm -hmm. see through the veil. But for so many people, including a lot of clients I've worked with, it gets really messy because they want to look at nutrition from an empowering place. But for a lot of people, it's so tangled up in like counting and points and calories. And a lot of women, in my experience, they can't even like look at food or deal with food without that baggage of diet culture. Mm-hmm. So that was really long-winded, but do, do you understand what I'm saying? Totally. 
um, because that's where a lot of my clients find me, uh, because I was in that holistic healing world for so long around nutrition. Um, they have already been down that path of making progress through autoimmune protocols or whatever it is. Uh, and then they find themselves feeling too restricted, mm-hmm. right? Or they can't get out of this mindset of, um, you know, so let me say they get to a point where they're like, I think it would be good for me to reintroduce foods, but I'm afraid to. Yeah. I'm afraid that I might have a flare. I'm afraid I'm going to lose control of my body size and shape. So the differentiation here is what is giving you most, the most freedom, right? So when we were super ill and we were on medications and we had side effects and our lives were kind of crappy, we didn't have a lot of freedom. We didn't have the freedom to, to get to that next phase of our true selves and doing our soul work in the world. And following a very regimented, very strict dietary and supplement protocol that helped us get to that freedom. We had more freedom of expression, right? Even though our food was restricted, we had more freedom of expression than we had in the previous chapter of our life. Very true. And then what happened for me um, was I realized I had been on this healing protocol for a while. I was feeling pretty, pretty stable, pretty steady. Of course, I was still um, kind of uh, slightly myopically obsessed with having health symptoms, but that's kind of part and parcel of the process. Um, uh, I I was thinking, huh, I think I'm at the point where I'm going to have more freedom and self-expression if I uh, start reintroducing some foods. And if I actually look beyond uh, food restriction for healing, maybe entertain some other paradigms to take my healing journey deeper. Um, so that's when, that's how I help my clients know, when is it time to go to the next paradigm? Uh, when you feel like you're not getting any more freedom from the restricted dietary protocol, mm. when you've maxed out the freedom available to you there. Um, and that's where I help my clients with a lot of um, the subconscious and and mindset and energetic changes. Uh, You're a big part of that in my food without fear program with the hypnotherapy that you provide. Cause that is, that's so key. Right. And that really is um, helping uh, move past food restrictions and food sensitivities. Cause some of it can be physical. A lot of it can be mindset fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you know, my clients sometimes are having reactions to the food they're eating when they're reintroducing foods, but sometimes they're having reaction to the fear and anxiety they have towards that food. And it doesn't have anything to do with the food. Mm-hmm. And so there we have to address the fear and the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It totally does. And and just to give the listeners some context. So Lauren, the name of your uh, coaching program is, is food without fear. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I, I can remember the exact name off the top of my head, but um, I provide hypnotherapy in that program. So I have a, a beautiful track that that you use with your clients. So just to give some listeners some context, that's what Lauren's talking about when she mentions my hypnotherapy in that program. But what you just said about looking at things through the lens of freedom 
I think is so key. And I think it's also incredibly individual and everything has to be individual because we're all individuals. So for some people, a restrictive diet is not going to equal more freedom for them. For me, in my context, several years ago, when I was on a very similar phase of my healing journey that you were, that was absolutely my ticket to freedom. I think what, what irritates me is all of the noise and all of the polarity online takes people further away from their intuition because there, you know, there are some leaders in the anti-diet movements who would say that like, oh, a restrictive diet is always bad. It's always going to lead to dangerous, horrible things. But like, I have a lived experience of knowing that that's not true for me. Yeah. It's a very black and white. uh, There can be a very black and white mentality that I find personally rather annoying uh, around that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because again, I'm like, my experience speaks differently. Um, but the cool thing is when we, we know our experience speaks differently, we're not like offended by it because like we're secure in our identities. We're secure in our healing experiences. Um, so, oh, I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say something on that topic. Um, about being offended or black and white thinking or being um, secure in your identity. No, I think it had something to do with uh, healing from restricted diets, but it might come back to me if we <laughs> if we keep chatting. Oh, yeah. Let, let's keep chatting. Well, I, I appreciate what you said about like, we don't have to be offended. But a lot of people that I've worked with in the past, the, the polarity of everything that all the different voices online causes a lot of confusion because they are not yet in touch with their inner truth. And so they come to me and they say like, Holly, I see you've had this amazing healing journey and I'm so inspired and it resonates with me, but I've been following these anti-diet influencers and they say that that's bad. And like, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Okay. Well, I remembered what I was going to say. So thank you for (laughs) going back on that. Absolutely. Um, You know, there is something to be said about, um, whole and nourishing foods, helping people reconnect to their true self. Mm. I absolutely believe that. And, um, you know, there is something to be said about when you're trying to heal a history of dieting and disordered eating, it's key to have permission to eat some processed and refined foods. It's key not to cut out sugar or carbs because you're never going to heal that way. But What's true for a lot of people is when they take the crap out of their diet, it catalyzes the next level of their their healing journey. It catalyzes spiritual awakenings for people because there is kind of this base level of you got to detox some of these chemicals out of your body in order to... um, I believe for most people, right. I'm, I'm adding a lot of disclosures here. Like for most people, that's a really critical step to going deeper on your spiritual journey. And I've seen that with countless clients and countless leaders, um, in, in the world, uh, because things have been added to our water supply and our food supply and messed with our, our food in such a way, um, that doesn't make it, uh, optimally nursing to the body, right? And that interferes mm. with our cognitive function that interferes with our nervous system function. So yes, there's, there's a place for, we can heal diet mentality, but we can also do so with, um, adding 
I, I always think of it as adding whole foods rather than we're not, we're not taking out foods here. You can, you can have your refined treats and sugar in this, in this healing process. And how can you add vegetables? How can you make them as delicious as possible? So they're not something to get out of the way. Um, so there's something you actually enjoy eating, right? I take a lot of lessons out of French cuisine and Japanese cuisine and Italian cuisine where they know how to cook veggies. They know how to bring all the flavors and textures together. They know how to add more pleasure to meals by sitting down and adding ambience. Um, so in the healing process for my clients, I always um, focus on, you know, when you're eating, like be present with your food, take some time and attention when you're preparing it. Um, how can you have flavors and colors and textures represented? Um, can you eat with a cloth napkin and, a, you know, real silverware and, I think that that's a piece that is often left out of the um, anti anti dieting movement, you know, maybe different strokes for different folks, but this is what I found works well for me and my clients. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, now I had something that I was going to say and I oh. lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, what? How oh, can I, I trigger your memory? <laughs> I know what it was. It was um, what you were saying about detoxing because when you pull back the curtain, when you look at the puppet strings, you know, and understand the implications of big pharma, big food, big media, Mm -hmm. big beauty, as you talk about in your book, it's like, we cannot be free by only choosing to eat foods that are literally designed to hijack our intuition. We cannot get back in touch with our intuition by shoveling foods in our faces that have literally been designed by industry to, to dumb us, down. Dumb us yeah. down, to dumb us down and make us sick and make us dependent. And, um, I mean, that is really what happens when you take the spiritual part of this healing journey is you realize how insidious it is. Mm-hmm. You realize how, um, this is truly an agenda, uh, from these big corporations to separate humanity from the wisdom of our bodies. Right. And, and that the cool thing is once you start getting in touch with that intuition, your body wants whole foods. It craves mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it craves it in balance. It craves real butter and egg yolks and, and ice, full fat ice cream and uh, whipped cream and, you know, sweets. And it also craves vegetables and fresh fruits and in season foods. Um, Cause the body's very smart that way. Mm-hmm. It is very smart. And I found you know, I eat a lot more intuitively than I used to, meaning, meaning like I don't need to follow somebody else's rule book now, but because of, you know, the nutritional reset resets I went through in the past where I did have to follow somebody's rule book in order to come back home to my intuition. Now I operate from a baseline of like really knowing what feels good in my body. And like a week before my period, I might be eating like all the plantains. Totally, totally. <laughs> and, and then like a week later, I want so much greens and protein. And it's like, I just listen to my body now. Yeah. But you know I had been interesting for me what? on what? that note was I, I started craving sushi on the first day of my period recently. So I was like, okay, you know, I, and I went with that. Um, and I would always get a big side of extra ginger because I loved it and I was craving it. So I was eating like basically a palmful of this ginger on the first day of my period for the last couple of months. And then I, I learned ginger helps with menstrual cramps. Oh my goodness. And I was like, that's so cool. But that's really what happens on this journey. 
Yeah. Yeah. Your, your body has the wisdom inside of Mm -hmm. it. It's just like you learn how to tap back into it. Exactly. So cool. Well, Lauren, your book is out now, but tell us like what else is going on in your world? What, what else are you doing these days? Well, I am actually quite excited uh, to hunker down. I mean, it's, it's winter here in Washington state. It's very gray and rainy and introverted and people come out of the woodwork in, in spring and summer here. Um, <laughs> but it definitely feels like a kind of a creative womb in my house right now. And I'm, I'm going with it. I have um, my next writing project, which I'm really excited about. And uh, I realized it's, it's kind of, important to me to always have the next thing. Um, now that this, this one is out of me, I'm like on to the next. Nice. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, uh, it, it feels just like this one. It feels important and in alignment with, uh, with the timing and what we're, what we're going to need. So, uh, that feels good. And then my food without fear program, uh, is at foodwithoutfearprogram.com. And I'm offering that ongoing because especially now with stress and world events and, you know, quarantine stuff, food issues are getting really challenging for people. So that's Mm -hmm. a great resource uh, for people who are ready to take the, you know, deeper journey on healing their relationship with food and getting back in touch with their intuition around it. Yeah. Now food without fear, is that ongoing enrollment? Is that like, do you launch that at different times of the year? How does that work? Yeah, I do launches at different times of the year, but I do on onboarding calls whenever it works for people. So you can go to that website and we can chat. And if it's going to be a fit for you, I can save you a spot in the, in the program. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's what's the URL for that? Foodwithoutfearprogram.com. Awesome. We'll be sure yeah. to link that up in the show notes. Yeah. And anything else you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up today? Um, my flower essences are a big piece that I use uh, with my clients. And I talk very, very briefly about them in the book as well. But if somebody's at the point in their journey where they're ready to do energetic and emotional level healing, uh, this is a really, really gentle and beautiful resource to facilitate that. And they're totally um, kind of self-starters. So you don't need a, a practitioner's guidance. And so those are at floralsong.com. Uh, these flower essences that facilitate uh, energetic shifts. And I I formulate them for my clients and use them with all my clients. And they're really, really beautiful tools. Mm, And I've experienced those too, both your, your flower essences and some of your, your clearing spray, Mm -hmm. they are, you say, so they are gentle, but they are also insanely powerful. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They will get things moving quickly for you. Yeah. Oh, and you yeah. formulate those all yourself, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I, I talk about in the book, actually, because that was part of my journey of reconnecting with my body. Uh, I realized that I was a plant intuitive, just like some people are animal intuitives, and they can have that telepathic communication cross species. Well, it turns out that has happened between humans and plants for millennia, and how we created our plant medicines in all ancient and indigenous cultures. So really, it's beautiful. It's because these remedies are made through communication with nature and through intuition, they have the ability to profoundly assist that reconnection with our true nature and with our intuition. So that's, that's really exciting. And I, I think we're going to see, especially with the kind of astrological energetic shifts that 
have happened so recently, we're going to see a lot more of these tools, a lot more of, of interest and awareness in these energetic healing tools to help people reconnect that way um, in the coming years. So I'm very excited about that. Most definitely. So we'll link those up in the show notes as well. I highly recommend you check out Lauren's amazing book and her flower essences. And if any of this resonates with you, just visit the show notes. We'll have everything linked up. And Lauren, just thank you once again for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Holly. I love you. I love chatting with you. And I'm, I'm sending you big hugs. Big hugs right back to you. 